Hello, Clash fans, and welcome to episode 29 of Inside Clash. I am your host, the legendary Trample Damage. Today's episode is titled Growth and Motion, and I'm going to start with a quote from Norman Mailer, the author of The Executioner's Song, which is another tremendously long book that I've read. The quote says, Growth, in some curious way, I suspect, depends on being always in motion, just a little bit. What we're going to talk about today is that, the notion of growth and motion within Clash of Clans. We're going to talk briefly about Darian and his exit from the stage as the primary community manager for Clash of Clans. We're going to talk a little bit about the royal champion and how she is always in motion, just a little bit, always toward the defenses. We're going to talk about growth in the form of the overgrowth spell and growth in the form of what we expect for Clan War League with some of the new equipment, the new spell, the new balance changes, and we're going to talk very briefly about esports because the good guys are starting to dabble a little bit in the esports realm. Well, some of my clanmates have been doing that for a while, but I'm also getting in and we literally just finished up our second match in the good guys esports team. What do we do next? We go inside the numbers where we will end up talking about the Grand Warden's eternal tome, not his eternal tome, his aura, the life gem. The Life Gem is a very fascinating piece of equipment, and when we think about the Grand Warden's aura for a long time, I don't know that everybody fully understands the mechanics of what is actually happening behind the scenes. So we're going to talk about the numbers that are related to the Grand Warden's Life Gem before I give you too much information and then wrap up with questions from the audience. Only got one job to do, and that's open up these walls. Grab my bomb and light the fuse Try not to trip and fall I used to go to war before This lady riding roots And now I guess I'll find the strength To just admit the truth My days are numbered my time has come I'll get a witch to summon me So I can still have fun We are going to be diving in and starting with a conversation briefly to say thank you so much to Darian Borlick, the longtime community manager for Clash of Clans, who has announced his departure from Supercell and if you just read the tweet that he sent out, it is all on very positive and favorable terms. He will be moving back to the United States to Los Angeles, presumably to pursue the rest of his career in, I'm going to guess, gaming. Uh, he and I are not close enough that he was confiding all this to me weeks before his departure, but I'm assuming that with his history in the gaming world, he will probably wind up doing something fairly similar with another company, and I am very happy for him to grow and have motion in his career moving on to whatever is that next step for him he has given a couple of really great interviews to some other podcasts the reddit talks clash podcast had him on i don't remember how long ago it was but they called it the darian episode i think 
He has also been on the Pineapples and Thorns podcast, and that was also, I want to say it was like Christmas-ish time of 22, also a very good episode, and he talks a little bit about his history and, you know, what what that looked like prior to joining the team at Supercell, so I will just say from a personal perspective, he was really great to work with, he helped out a lot on any issues that I had, he was always very responsive, I feel like I got to know him well enough that he felt comfortable joking around with me a lot, we had a couple times when we were on some of the creator conference calls after doing some testing for new stuff and you know i would pop into the chatty to go oh trample damage is here and you know it was it was fun banter and he's a super friendly guy very attentive to the community very attentive to the creator so on behalf of the podcast community in addition to obviously everybody else uh darian we will miss you and we wish you absolutely wonderful things for whatever is next on your journey so we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about some more growth and some more movement. I have been telling you, you know, I like to I like to recommend other podcasts, and I always wind up mentioning Clash Tours, hosted by CNote, and Reddit Talks Clash, hosted by some of the Reddit moderators, including Congressman Coolrick and Sam and Spencer, and recently Liam was also on there in the episode that I was on, which was you know, one of the best episodes of Reddit Talks Clash ever. And I do always wind up mentioning the Pineapples and Thorns podcast, hosted by Kat and Peter currently. The Clash Wolves might be taking a break with Big B announcing his retirement, but we'll keep an eye on them. And I had been mentioning Clash with the Homies, who had an episode come out early January, and another episode ended up dropping where uh, Ghost Knight was without Magic Jr., but Ghost Knight was running solo for an episode just to make sure to crank some stuff back out. And I had said on my last episode, if I don't get one out soon, I'm going to stop telling you to listen to Clash with the Homies. So there is another episode out. Uh, Make sure to check that out. Very cool perspective. Talented players. Lots of experience. So, you know... Show some love to the podcast community on your drive to work and your drive home from work when you're maybe not when you're showering because that might cause some kind of problem. Although if you get a loud enough speaker, you could listen to it in the shower and then tell the podcasters that you were listening to them while you were in the shower. I'm sure they'd get a kick out of that. So uh, check out Clash of the Homies episode two finally out. I'm going to go ahead and cover briefly some of the Royal Champion stuff, which, again, the I had a chance to talk to the Reddit Talks Clash guys. It was uh, Congressman Cool Rick and Liam, and I had a chance to talk, and uh, they were, of course, subjected to some ramble damage. I think it's the longest episode they ended up having to produce to date. Uh, we did talk a lot about all the update stuff, and my last episode I talked about what we saw in sneak peek number one, which was some troop balancing and some new levels, and we did not talk about the Royal Champion's new abilities, her new equipment, and we did not talk about the overgrowth spell, which we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about that. If you want to hear more, of course, check out the most recent episode of Reddit Talks Clash. So Royal Champion abilities, I will say, and I've been saying this since before, I have, I've, I really feel like Supercell has done a great job balancing these pieces of equipment so that there isn't something that's very obviously more powerful. I know a lot of people tell me that I'm dumb for not using the gauntlet. That's okay, to each his own. But I think that the Royal Champion abilities with the Hog Puppet and the Haste Vial are incredibly well balanced. They both bring a lot of interesting things to the attacks that you would like to use them in, and they do have some drawbacks. In order to equip either one of those, you will have to either dump the extra damage per second and hit points and health recovery that you'd wind up getting from the Royal Gem, or you have to dump what we always think of as like kind of the signature key thing for the Royal Champion, which is the Seeking Shield that does crank out 10,000 points of damage in the form of four defenses getting hit for 2,500 points apiece. Either one of those going away is going to really reshape the way that we wind up using and thinking about the Royal Champion. Personally, 
I love hog riders, so of course I'm super excited about the hog puppet. When we were testing that out in the development box, originally it was only producing six hog riders, and it did not have the blink ability, which I'm, I'm referring to as a blink, but she goes invisible. She just flashes out for one second, and then uh, reappears, and can become retargeted by things. And I was not very impressed with the equipment. I said, look, it's, it's cute, it's cool. Hogs are going to catch some spring traps or some bombs, so you're not going to get like six full hog riders out of them because, you know, they're going to show up in the middle of the fray. And they ended up retooling it and releasing it with nine hog riders summoned at maximum level, plus a one-second piece of invisibility, which is so key because we've all had times where we've seen the world champion going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a Barbarian King, or she gets locked on to by a single-target Inferno Tower, and she winds up going down. Now the ability to have that momentary blink where she does become untargeted is going to be a really big benefit. Plus, you do wind up getting some decent hit point recovery, so I'm very excited about that piece of equipment. I am already using that on one of my accounts, my Rochester base. I maxed that out right away because I really like the synergy that it gets with my Super Hog Rider attack. I'm all about extra hit points and extra life and extra recovery. It's why I love the Vamp Stash. It's why I love the Healer Puppet. It is also why I like using the Royal Champion with the Royal Gem and the Hog Puppet because she recovers like 68% of her hit points in addition to blinking. In addition to summoning nine Hog Riders, I'm not as worried about that seeking shield although i'm telling you there are sometimes i still go to trigger the ability and i'm like what happened to the oh that's right i have nine hog riders instead and i've had both sides of the spectrum hog riders come out and they immediately hit two spring traps a giant bomb the ricochet cannon pegs the royal champion and a hog rider and they're gone in the blink of an eye same thing happens sometimes with the barbarian king because i love the barbarian puppet and 44 barbarians will come out they don't come out all at once they come out in like slightly staggered waves and sometimes 20 of them will go to a giant bomb right away but other times, and this is what I love about it, other times you wind up getting so much value and I see the Royal Champion clean up a large portion of the base by herself with those nine hog riders on the back end. It's very, very powerful. I love the equipment. It fits with how I like to attack in a lot of my armies where I am relying on the healing and the hit point recovery and the damage prevention to be what sees me through the course of the attack. For more aggressive attackers, for people who are using the Royal Champion to aggressively funnel and filter parts of the base, the Haste Vial is going to be really crazy. I did talk last episode about the, the Barbarian King when we went inside, inside the numbers on the last episode, talking about the Barbarian King and the attack speed increase he gets with the Vamp Stash, well the Royal Champion also gets one for the Haste Vial. And when you trigger that ability, she actually goes into overdrive, doubling her attack speed, dealing a bunch of extra damage. She can take down enemy heroes very quickly. She can pop off other defenses really quickly. The downside is, again, you're either giving up the Seeking Shield ability or you're giving up the Royal Gem, which is a huge amount of hit points that you would wind up losing. Now, the Royal Champion with the Haste Vial is certainly capable in the right structure and format of cranking out more than 10,000 points worth of damage throughout the course of the attack because of her increased attack speed and because of the really crazy overdrive she goes into with the ability actually active. But there will be some times we find ourselves feeling like, oh no, where'd my 10,000 points of damage from the Seeking Shield go? Most of the recommendations that I'm seeing from people, which is what I will be doing with my, at least my Golem Root Rider army, I think I will wind up using the Haste Vial with the Royal Champion because in the middle of the base, when she can go into overdrive and really start cranking away, the only thing that really harms her 
is the tornado trap. Because even if you think about skeletons popping up in the middle of the base, she is literally firing at double speed. She will mow down a bunch of skeletons. I'm going to wind up posting some TikToks on this because seeing her go that fast against a whole bunch of little troops, it's crazy, it's super powerful, and I absolutely love it. That being said, in all the testing that I've done, I wind up seeing a lot of the same results, whether you're paired with the Seeking Shield and the Royal Gem, or it's the Haste Vial and the Royal Gem, or it's the Haste Vial and the Hog Puppet. Again, I go back to saying I think Supercell's done a great job balancing these pieces of equipment. There will always be a situation where you feel like, hey, this would be the perfect piece of equipment to be using for the Royal Champion. And if that makes sense to you, do it and use it and love it and enjoy it. I don't think you can go wrong. And it's a lot of fun to go ahead and tinker and play with different types of combinations. I'm really excited that the Royal Champion's equipment finally came out. It gives us, of course, more to do and more to upgrade and more ore to grind, which I know some of us are like, oh, that's a lot to deal with. But... I would rather have more toys to play with, even if I'm going to be able to take my time and enjoy the ride as I grow and move toward those new pieces of equipment. The last sneak peek that we got to see for the new update, of course, is the Overgrowth spell. I've seen a lot of chatter about how people are planning on using this. I will say very simply, you, by now you know what the spell does. It's got a nice wide radius. I think it's an eight tile radius, and it makes all of the buildings inside there invisible and invulnerable. So it cannot wind up being damaged by anything, and it will not be targeted by anything. Fun fact, the Electro Dragon Chain, just like with invisible buildings with the invisibility spell, the Electro Dragon Chain will still chain into those buildings, it just won't deal any damage to them. So they become invisible, which is, you know, you start thinking immediately, hey, that sounds great for funneling, that also sounds great for, to a lesser extent when used very appropriately, a way to shut down defenses for an extended period of time so that you're not taking damage from stuff like Ground Expos, Eagle Artillery, Monolith, with those larger ranges. It's very powerful. I've used it very successfully both ways in the development box. My favorite thing that I've seen myself, because I'm the only one I've really been watching use the spell so far, my favorite thing that I've done with this is using the overgrowth spell on a portion of the base and then bringing the rest of my troops in, especially like a dragon attack in the skies. I use that overgrowth spell to basically wipe out a portion of the base where the dragons feel like hey there's nothing to go after there it bunches them up nice and tight in the way that i want they start moving into the base and then by the time that other portion of the base has become revealed they are essentially doing what i have described as unfolding the base where instead of attacking a big square by making one part invisible i'm basically giving myself an opportunity to move through compartments one by one and almost in a circular fashion while i then blimp the core to take out some key components and it's been very successful for me at town halls 12 all the way through 16. The other way that I'm using it is against ring bases with densely packed cores where I'll use a Zapquake or a Blimp to take out a portion of the base to set up a nice funnel for the ring, but then what happens is a lot of times you'll get the one star against those ring bases because scatter shots and expos and inferno towers and the town hall in the core are dealing damage to your troops as they're walking the ring. Well, if you can drop an overgrowth spell to disable the entire center of the base, your troops are going to move very quickly through the less powerful and less protected and covered defenses on the outer perimeter of that ring, and then that can leave you a very easy opportunity to move in and take the core of the base with Barbarian King, especially if you are using the Giant Gauntlet. I don't have that, so I won't be able to take advantage of that, but still the King with the Vamp Stash and the Barbarian Puppet, coupled with the, the Archer Queen and her Healer Puppet, it's a very impressive way to take out a good chunk of the base. So I'm really excited excited about seeing all these different uses in a lot of ways. I think it's going to put some really creative attacks together, kind of like we were seeing with the recall spell when it first came out. 
So we will see. I'm excited about it. I haven't leveled it up yet on any of my bases in the live game because I'm just enjoying the ride and I'm focusing on some of the upgrades for some other troops in the meantime, but I am looking forward to bringing some cool content around the overgrowth spell. So last Clan War League, uh, a couple of fun, funny little stories. One, one funny story, one fun little story. We had, I moved one of my Town Hall 15s into the Good Guys 4 clan to participate with them in Clan War League. And I moved one of my Town Hall 15s into the Raided, which is a family clan that is associated with the Clash Files family, the Redthorn clan. It's one of their smaller clans, the Raided. So Cat runs Redthorn and the Raided, and that's the host of Pineapples and Thorns. I know you know who Cat is. I'm saying it again. Check out Pineapples and Thorns. Great podcast. And Kat said, oh, yeah, we can actually use you in here because everybody was scrambling, right? We didn't, unfortunately, we did not tell the community that we were running a five-day clan war league, and it kind of messed up a lot of people's schedules and rosters they had built out. So I ended up joining there, and they matched the Good Guys 4. So I literally had a base on both sides. And unfortunately for Good Guys 4, fortunately for Raided, the Raided ended up winning. And there were more high-level town halls in the Raided. So, you know, Good Guys 4 was like, that's not fair. It's unfortunate. And I agree because Good Guys 4 has tons of great attackers. Oddly enough, right after Clan War League, they both declared separate wars and got matched again. Good Guys 4 was like, yes, this time we're out for vengeance. <laughs> but the Raided ended up winning that war as well. So uh, I know there's some, you know, some rivalry there. Maybe one day we can schedule some kind of friendly war between the two to see if, you know, the Raided makes it 3-0 and against the Good Guys or if the Good Guys can, you know, try to battle back with a, a victory. But kudos to the Raided. Yeah, they did a great job in, in those wars. And uh, it's always just fun to see that kind of funny stuff wind up popping up. And it's it's all, you know, we're all part of one big clash community and one big family. So it's fun to work with each other and meet new people and, and unfortunately sometimes be against your your own family clan. And I, that was that was fun. I had a good time with it. In the main clan and the good guys, uh, we were in champ one for the first time in a little while. And I will say we held our own. One of my, I think we had three people that finished perfect. I want to say that Geo and Seaman and one of my two Town Hall 16s finished five for five in triples. My Rochester base ended up finishing three of five. And my third Town Hall 16, which is also called Trample Damage, finished four out of five in a Master 2. I think it's a Master 2. Oh, no, no, no. I was in a Champ 2 clan. I was participating with the Six Degrees family, and I was in a Champ 2 clan with, and I got, I went four out of five triples there. So I ended up with, what was it? It would be 12 out of 15 triples for the week for the five days. And so I was very proud of that. And I know everything's broken and everybody's so good right now and pre-balanced, blah, blah, blah. The game is easy, but I was really proud of myself. So looking forward to the upcoming Clan War League where hopefully in the good guys with the, you know, back to the seven war format, hopefully we will wind up having a really solid performance and not demoting because obviously we cannot promote, but uh, hopefully we will prevent the demotion. Okay, the other thing I want to talk about for Clan War League is what we expect to see. I know that we nerf Root Riders. I still expect to see a lot of Root Riders. I, it's Root Riders with Electro Titans. Root Riders after a Queen Charge. Root Riders after a Sarge Blimp. Root Riders just, you know, mass Root Riders. There are so many ways of using Root Riders. I wind up sprinkling them into both of my primary army compositions. One of them uses a couple Root Riders with my heroes to push in in preparation for a Super Hog attack. And the other army uses Golems and Witches and Wizards to create really a lot of tanking for the Root Riders as they open up compartments for the rest of my troops to move through along with the battle drill. Root Riders are great. I do not expect to see a cessation of Root Rider usage. I do expect to see a little bit more of a shot at some Dragon Spam and maybe some Hydra attacks because of the buffs that the Dragons, the Electro Dragons, and the Super Dragons got. 
I don't know if it will, you know, actually materialize in that fashion, but I am interested to see what kind of air attacks people do wind up coming up with. I know a couple people have been expressing frustration around the Clash community about, oh, we're, you know, we're going back to everybody's referred to Clash of Dragons, right? It's all just air attacks. It's the Town Hall 14 meta again. I don't think so. I think it just means that now Dragon and air attacks are going to be at least somewhat more on par with the power of some of the ground attacks we've been seeing, which, hey, diversity is really good for the meta. Plus, we can all use to grow a little bit and move in the direction of some other attacks just to make sure that we have a few more tools in our tool belt as we proceed through regular wars, multiplayer attacks, Legend League attacks, attacks, and of course, Clan War League. We are now going to go inside the numbers and talk about the Warden ability. We're going to talk about the Life Gem. Now, I wind up telling people, use the Life Gem if you are using troops that have fewer hit points because you aren't capped on the hit point boost that the Warden gives you, but use the Healing Tome if you are using higher hit point troops. What we sort of know, we've all known, is that the Life Gem gives troops more hit points. So we're going to start with the Barbarian at Town Hall 16. Max Barbarian has 290. Oh no, I did all this math before... I did this math before the Barbarian nerf. So but this is pre-nerf Barbarian stats with 290... Oh no, Super Barbs are what got nerfed. Regular Barbarians are fine. So regular Barbarians have 290 hit points, and when they are inside the Grand Warden's Eternal Tome, they get the full benefit of the 100% boost of the Max Life Gem, which would add 290 more hit points, giving them a total of 580 hit points. Now here's the question I know a lot of people have. What happens to a Barbarian who has 290 hit points, but is inside the Warden's Aura, takes 300 or 400 or 500 points of damage, and then leaves the Aura? If they've taken 300 points of damage and they leave the aura, are they now back to 290 hit points having taken 300 and then they're dead? All of us have seen situations where a barbarian is inside the aura's tome, takes, or, you know, some troop takes a bunch of damage and then is out of the tome but is still up and running. And even though they've taken a tremendous amount of damage, they're still alive and kicking. We don't see that you know, health bar drop off precipitously. So I want to tell you how the life gem actually functions. What will happen is, and, when I, and I definitely will put this on my Discord server inside the numbers, on the inside the numbers uh, channel, the barbarian that goes inside the Warden's Eternal Tome, what happens is they don't actually change their hit points. The barbarian still has 290 hit points. But what happens inside that Eternal Tome, I mean inside the Life Gem's aura, is it says, oh, okay, this troop can get up to 100% more hit points, which in this case for the Barbarian would be 290. So it's now got this sort of, this 580 max hit point idea that is being floated out there. And anytime damage is dealt to the Barbarian, what winds up happening, or to that, you know, this specific Barbarian, so let's say that the Barbarian takes 500 points of damage. Well, the damage reduction that happens is basically saying, well, okay, their extra hit points that they got is 290 out of the 580. So those extra hit points essentially provide 50% worth of a shield for the Barbarian. So damage that the Barbarian takes essentially reduces the hit points by half of however much damage had been taken. So if a Barbarian is inside of that Life Gem's aura and takes 500 points of damage, it reduces that by 50%. So that the Barbarian only really took 250 points of damage, which means when it then emerges from the Warden's Life Tome, or the Life Gem Aura, it would still have 40 hit points remaining. This is the reason why I wind up telling people it's not as great for some of the higher hit point troops. So you look at a Balloon versus a Barbarian, the Barbarian, that 290 hit points is not capped. So it fully represents 50% of the total hit points. If you imagine adding this imaginary 290 hit points, it's half of what the Barbarian's new 
amount of hit points is. With the balloon that has a base hit point of 1140, it gets capped at that 725. So if you add the 1140 to the 725, it's 1865. And the extra 725 that it has only represents 39% of the total hit points that the balloon has, which basically says, oh, okay, well then we'll reduce the incoming damage by 38.9%. So if a balloon goes into the Grand Warden's Life Gem Aura and winds up taking 500 points of damage, it will emerge from there having prevented 194 of that damage, but still having sustained 306, leaving it at 834 hit points. The Golem, on the other end of the spectrum, with 9,200 hit points, gets capped at 725 additional hit points. That 725 of the new imaginary total of 9925 is only 7.3%. So essentially, the way that the calculation works is it says, how many hit points are we adding to this troop, and what percentage of the new imaginary hit point number is that? For lower hit point troops, that represents a higher percentage, like the Barbarian, it will represent 50% of this imaginary hit point number, whereas for a Golem, it's only representing 7%. So the life gem is not actually something that changes the troop's hit points. It really just functions like a shield with variable amounts of damage that it will present, prevent with the highest percentage of damage prevented being on the lower hit point troops and the lowest percentage of damage prevented will be on the higher hit point troops. So I think that what Supercell figured is that's a difficult concept for us to talk about a varying degree of protection that is provided by the Eternal Tome based on the hit points that the, that the troop has. So instead of trying to describe it in that way, they just basically say, well, it's like extra hit points because that's a concept we can all wrap our heads around and it's a fixed number. Well, it's either the total number of their hit points or it's 725, whichever one happens to be, you know, so if the total hit points goes over 725, they get 725. Otherwise, we give them the 725 points of damage that we would, or the extra hit points. So it's a fascinating way that this functions because, again, it is a shield and the efficacy of this shield is inversely proportional to the base hit points of the troop. As the hit points of the troop increase, the value and the benefit of the shield goes down. I will, of course, post that on my Discord server so you can see exactly what it looks like. And it is a, it's a fascinating thing. And the Apprentice Warden actually functions in the exact same way. So only with, the, with an uncapped hit point amount. So everybody is essentially basically getting a 50% damage reduction while inside, or whatever the percentage of your level of, uh, of the Warden is, of the Apprentice Warden. You, you don't have the cap like you do with the regular Grand Warden, and, but the logic works the same in terms of the shield and its prevention. Okay, we are now going to go with too much information before we move into our final segment. And this week, our too much information is going to be that when I was on the Reddit Talks Clash podcast just a couple of days ago, I was sitting in my mobile recording studio, my car. I was sitting in my mobile recording studio near a Macy's, and we had been going for a little while, and I drank a lot of water, and I had used the bathroom prior to going into the, to our conversation and our interview. But I got to the point about an hour in when I was, you know, preparing to subject the Redditox Clash guys to some ramble damage. And I realized I was not going to be able to hold it. And Congressman Cool Rick and Liam were asking some cool, fun questions and sharing some fun questions from the Redditox Clash guys. So I, I took my phone, I got out of my, I muted it, you know, I got out of my car and I ran in toward the restroom and Congressman Kulrick had asked me a question right as I was holding the door open for these two young women that were coming out and they're like, thank you. And I basically ignored them because I started answering Congressman Kulrick's question. But uh, then I went inside the store and a couple of ladies were walking by and they were talking while I was talking. So you can almost hear in the background, it sounds like a couple of ladies had just shown up. 
Then I proceeded into the restroom where I did indeed urinate with the phone muted while Congressman Kulrick was asking a question or answering a question. And then I ran back to my car because it was very windy that day. So I ran back to my car, underestimating the fact that I was going to need to catch my breath. And I was like, I'll get there before he finishes answering his question. So he finishes answer, asking his question. I've run back to my car. I'm out of breath. So I'm like, <sighs> um, yeah, I, uh, and I wasn't going to be able to do it without somehow gasping for breath. So I, I just pretended for a moment because there's a live audience. If it wasn't a live audience, I would have done what I did when I was talking to C-Note on the Clash Tours podcast. And I told him at one point, hey, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm just going to leave my phone in my car. I went into a store. I used the restroom. I came back out. But it's a live audience. So there's people there. And I'm trying not to let them all know that I just went to use the restroom. So I pretended for a moment like I couldn't catch my breath. I muted the phone. I took a couple of very deep breaths to get my oxygen back. And then I was able to proceed with the interview. I did tell Congressman Coolrick about it after the fact. And he said, hey, no problem. You actually stopped and started speaking at perfect time so I can clean it up very easily. Don't even sweat it. I would rather have a great episode for the many, many listeners that we wind up getting after the fact versus the smaller population that is listening live. They know that it's a live show and sometimes things go wrong. So I thought that was fun and funny. And so I I wanted to share. I have, that's a 50% success rate so far. Oh no, because the other two times I was on the Reddit Talks Clash, I did not stop to use a restroom. So, but of some more recent podcasts, I have uh, apparently a 50% failure rate in uh, needing to go use the restroom. From a literature perspective, and I'm using the word very loosely here to describe this, I am currently, one of the books I'm reading on my Kindle is called Critical Failures 9. So yes, it is the ninth book in a series by Robert Bevan that I started reading five years ago, six years ago, and it is a fantasy novel that is also blended with the real world. The first book kicks off with a couple of guys who have a, a DM for their Dungeons & Dragons game that is called Caverns & Creatures. Their Caverns & Creatures DM comes over, and he's frustrated that they don't seem to be taking the game very seriously. They're very crass. There's a lot of, like, potty mouth type of humor, and he stuffs them magically into the game with magical dice that he has. And it, the story basically follows their journey through this world where they have basically been imprisoned. And the first, I think, like, the fourth or fifth book in, I was kind of like, wow, reading these back to back, I became numb to some of the humor because it's very crass humor. But now that I am caught up, you know, I think the first five books were out when I first started reading it. And then I waited in between books five and six and books six and seven and seven and eight and eight and nine. And now there's enough of a break in between there that I have not gone numb to the humor and the, you know, the teenage boy, you know, fart jokes and poop jokes and very crass, vulgar language. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, actually. It's a very funny book. The The whole entire series is very funny. There's great characters, great character development. He puts together a really nice story. But I would recommend, if you wind up reading it, space it out a little bit in between each of the books because you will go numb to all of the humor. Last thing I'll mention is what I'm listening to music-wise. I recently ended up purchasing for my daughter a Taylor Swift album. She's a big Taylor Swift fan. Bought a Taylor Swift album for $50 at Barnes & Noble. And she was like, I've never seen this version before, because that's what she sounds like. I've never seen this version before. I really want to get this. And she was going to pay for it. But it was like, you know, we went to the bookstore together and and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to spoil you. I'll buy it for you. And I thought it was 50 bucks. I was like, what the heck is a $50 album? Oh, my goodness. 
So anyway, a couple days later, my wife and I had gone shopping and there was like this little kind of pop-up. It's not a yard sale because it was by some businesses, but almost like a farmer's market for people selling stuff. And there happened to be a store that sells a lot of records that had a pop-up there. And I bought like 10 or 12 albums. And some of the stuff that I ended up buying was kind of like reminiscent of things I used to listen to a lot as a kid. So I did wind up picking up a couple of vinyl albums of some... Uh, Bruce Springsteen albums that I like listening to, and they're older ones that I haven't been able to find. I, I have a couple of his albums already, but some older ones that I hadn't found recently. So I have been listening to a lot more Bruce Springsteen lately. They're, you know, I'm not like the quintessential, like, you know, Mo USA, born in the USA, but I, there's a lot of really cool stuff that he writes about people and humanity, and they're really, really great lyrics, and it's, he's not nearly uh, what you might expect of him as a human being. His political views, his personal views, he's actually a super cool guy. And oddly enough, I will share one more thing. I, we saw a movie called Blinded by the Light, which was about, I guess, like, I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen's biggest fan. It's a, an English guy. I think he's originally from India. I haven't seen the movie for a while. Uh, but, you know, lived in England, grew up in England. And he, maybe Pakistani? I don't remember. It's not a racist thing. I just don't actually remember. Um, and I only say that because at one point in the movie, uh, somebody is very offensive and calls him a Paki. And I don't know if they're calling him that because he's actually from Pakistan or they're just guessing that and he's actually from India. But either way, that was a great movie. It was really cool. I'm a big, big fan of Bruce Springsteen. If you haven't ever listened to his stuff, probably worth checking out. Okay, with that, we are going to wrap up with our questions from the audience. Our first question and second question are very closely related. Meat77, back in October, asked, What do you recommend for Max Town Hall 15? I can't collect all my resources and the game is getting boring. Additionally, I had a question from Polo Man about three weeks after that. My main account will be maxed in the next month. Do you think it's beneficial to keep buying the gold pass and staying in Legend League to accumulate the gold pass loot every month and then having a big loot dump? And it actually turned out to be a very, very long question, but essentially ended up saying something along the lines of, hey, what do you think I should be doing with the gold pass? Should I be buying it? What's the value there? And obviously now with Town Hall 16 out, that is not necessarily a valid question for Town Hall 15, but it will soon here for a lot of people be a valid question for Town Hall 16. Plenty of my clanmates maxed their Town Hall 16 prior to the most recent update that became available. My general recommendation is if you love the game that much and you're that passionate about the game, continue playing in Legend League. You know, try to do some esports type of stuff because oh, I didn't talk about esports stuff. I'll talk about that after this question. Uh, make sure that you are, you know, doing all the things to help extend the joy that you can get from the game. And one of the ways to do that is start a mini, honestly, starting a base over and reliving all the glory days of the lower town halls. You'll move more quickly through there, but it's actually a ton of fun. And I personally do wind up liking to get the gold pass even when I'm maxed because I like the one gem donations and I get a lot of gems from the gold pass when I wind up buying it. Plus I get the training troop boost, the, you know, the speed boost on the training and it's, you know, walls are expensive and they take a while. So me personally, when I'm close to max, I'm still buying it even when the only thing I have left is walls. Uh, plus, uh, with the way the gold pass is structured now, we wind up getting skins. So between the one gem donation, the gems that you get back from selling all your magic items, benefits that you might get for the builder base, the skins that you're getting, the troop training times, I feel like it's still worth it. If you're not 
interested in spending the money, though. Nowadays, one of the things you could do with the way some of these events have been shaping up, don't buy the gold pass, buy the event pass because it's going to wind up giving you extra ore that you could wind up putting into other stuff. Or, of course, you can also just save your money, not spend anything on the game, enjoy yourself, and start a mini, and that can be lots of fun as well. If you do wind up buying a gold pass, I probably should have mentioned this at some point, make sure to support a creator. I have a creator code. It is Trample. If you don't want to support me, support somebody else, like Itsu, who basically made the world feel like the Seeking Shield is dead. Because I had a lot of people send me a screenshot from one of his videos like, Seeking Shield's dead, bro. And I had a lot of people tell me that, and I thought it was kind of funny because he is a very talented, well-respected content creator and attacker, and I don't know if he realizes how much power he has over the way people think about the game, but he says, hey, Seeking Shield is the least valuable of these. He's not saying it sucks. He's just saying it's the least valuable because the Haze Vial is going to be such a powerful tool for people in their arsenal that all of a sudden a bunch of people are like professionals and they know the game and they're like, oh, the Seeking Shield is dead. 10,000 damage is nothing to scoff at. But make sure that you use whatever equipment is right for you. I did forget to mention, so remember to take a step back outside of our questions for a moment. And I was going to bring up esports. I participated in recently two esports events. Last week, we had our inaugural event for a tournament that we're in. And I don't remember what it is, but C-Man set it up for us. And he is an amazing attacker. We managed to win our first war by one star. We ended up winning 13 to 12. And I was super proud because I did manage to get a three star. My funny story associated with that is that I was planning to take my father-in-law to the Smith Center for the Performing Arts here in the Las Vegas Valley to see a performance by the Las Vegas Philharmonic. And we went to go see that. We would go to dinner beforehand. And I told the guys uh, on the team, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to have to attack first because I got to leave. And it was taking a little bit of time because the other team wasn't accepting. And then eventually they finally accepted. And I went in and I used some super hogs and I stomped the base. I got three stars. I'm, that's not true. I didn't stomp the base. I barely managed to finish the base off. I had like two seconds left or something. But I was really excited and I was on chat with a couple of the guys. They were typing messages that were very encouraging in there. And my queen coming toward the end of the attack had to choose heading toward the 12 o'clock compartment or the six o'clock compartment from roughly the center of those two compartments. She went north toward the 12 o'clock compartment and I used her ability because I, you know, she lives forever. Used her ability to pound through a wall. She got a defense, came back around, managed to finish the base off. Uh, and I was super proud, and I was jumping up and down. I was, like, telling my wife, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got three stars. I'm so excited. And then I went and had dinner with my father-in-law and then went and saw a lovely performance at the Smith Center. So that was really exciting. That was our first uh, iteration. Second iteration came this evening, just a little bit ago, where I left a meeting, and I told the guys, hey, uh, I can attack last. And they had it teed up to where literally any star would win it for us. And I actually think, I'm going to double check, I think I might have even been able to do it on like 45% destruction because we were winning uh, 10 to 10 going into my attack. So literally any star would have done it for us. And I did use my Golem Root Rider, Witch, Wizard, Army combination, and I delivered a triple. So I am undefeated. I'm 100% I'm in competitive wars that I know of. Uh, I, I think I had done a competitive war maybe at one point with some podcasters like a year and a half ago. I don't remember if it was like a formal event or tournament we signed up for, but I'm really excited that, I guess we'll say at least as a Town Hall 15, I am 100% triple rate in competitive wars. All right, we'll jump back into our questions. A uh, question from Bokester in the middle of November. Which way of watching the podcast supports you the most? YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. I have all, and I may as well support the best I can. The truth is, I don't actually care. I don't think it matters. If you enjoy the podcast and you listen to the podcast, 
tell other people to listen to the podcast, to give me some feedback about it, ask questions for it. I don't monetize on the podcast. I have no idea how to do that. I saw a button on Spotify one day that said, here, come push this button to modify and to monetize. I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. I pushed the button and then it said something like, you know, scan your driver's license. And I was like, I'm done. I'm out. And I closed the app and I just went back to not monetizing on my podcast, which I also did for a very long time on YouTube, apparently foregoing no doubt millions of dollars. Uh, but I am now at least monetizing on YouTube. And if I ever do decide to monetize on my podcast, I will let you guys know more effectively. But honestly, really just enjoy it, tell people about it. And if at some point there's only two listeners, I'll probably stop and I'll just call whoever those people are and tell them all my thoughts. A question from Frederic from back in September. How many gold passes do you want us to buy using code TRAMPLE until you reward us with a picture of the legendary trample damage at work in his mobile recording studio? And I I don't know. We'll say if I get to 25,000 subscribers on YouTube, maybe that, that might come sooner than I thought because I just passed 17,000. So we'll say if I get to 50,000 subscribers on YouTube or 500,000 followers on TikTok, if I haven't already done some kind of letting people see the joy and wonder that is Trample Damage's face, we will definitely do it at that point. So <laughs> go find 33,000 of your closest friends and family, have them subscribe to my YouTube channel, or find another 270,000 of your closest friends and family, have them follow me on TikTok, and you will absolutely get to see a picture of me wearing what I refer to as my uniform at work, which is a beanie and a hoodie pretty much every single day. I will go with my next question from Imad1605. It's a brand new question, actually. It just came a couple days ago. Do you think the overgrowth spell is worth it if you're funneling troops because it takes two housing space and you would most likely need two of them to funnel? I will say yes, I feel like it is worth it. I will also say no, I do not think two are necessary. Two are going to be necessary if you want to, like, freeze, let's say, the 12 o'clock compartment and the 3 o'clock compartment and send people in through the the area between those two overgrown portions of the base, but I am already funneling very successfully with only one overgrowth spell. I am sure people will come up with really cool ideas, but one is enough for a lot of funneling opportunities. I will say Seaman, one of my favorite attackers, OP clanmate of mine, a lot of times he'll do a hybrid attack dropping a blimp to just destroy four, five, six-ish buildings in a little cluster to establish the perfect pathing to move his queen where he wants her to go, setting up the appropriate entry for his hybrid attack. It doesn't take a lot to set up a beautiful funnel. Sometimes one building missing. I mean, we've all seen it happen where it's like, there's an elixir collector that we're watching our queen while she's destroying something, and we go, please don't go for that elixir collector. And then she does, and our queen walk is ruined. Funneling sometimes only takes a couple buildings, and so one overgrowth spell is going to be all you need in many, many situations. My final question will be coming from Jonathan, the leader of the Reddit Zero family, uh, Reddit Zero clan. I'm not sure if you can answer some of my questions below because of the NDA, and in case you actually know the plan, and also if you can't answer too soon, feel free to leave this question. On your pod, you discussed a bit of game exhaustion, wallet exhaustion regarding the seasonal events. If you were in charge of this at Supercell, how often would you hold the seasonal events? I'm going to go ahead and read the entire part, then we'll go back and talk about it. I was expecting the events roughly four times a year. This would make a lot of sense. Four seasons for theming purposes, four major updates, four heroes you got to have epic equipment for. In the Q&A recently, they mentioned adding additional heroes as likely at some point. Do you think that they are considering continuing the pace that the events have been released at? Six times a year seems like too much to me. I will say, in a completely safe and non-violating an NDA portion of my relationship with Supercell, I do not know the exact plans that they have, so I will say all of this is going to be pure speculation and personal opinion. 
I think six times a year is too much, personally. I think four times a year would be perfect. I think it's like a couple months of regular stuff. I'm used to the meta. Bam, something really exciting. And instead of having it be a two-week two event, I'd make it a three-week event so people get a lot of mileage out of it, whether it's because there's cool seasonal troops or something fun and exciting that's happening. I do think six times a year feels like too much. I'm hoping that, I'd like, I don't want six pieces of epic equipment every single year. There's not enough time for us to catch up in a reason. And I'm all about enjoying the ride and, and taking our time as we move through things. But that will become a lot and it will start to make people feel a little bit frustrated. Clearly there are players out there who you could do an event every single month and they would be loving it because they have one base or two bases and it's not going to be a problem for them. Other people even that I've talked to that have one base or two bases feel like this they're already feeling stressed about like, I have to war every day. I have to wind up getting my daily attacks in every day because there's no ore progression and they keep releasing equipment and it makes people feel like they're on a treadmill. And I have shared my feedback. Other creators have shared their feedback. If I were in charge at Supercell right now, clearly there's the business component to this as well, right? If, if I was like, oh, I'm magically in charge of Supercell and I look at their financial statements, I might say, oh, yeah, we need to do events every single month because there are people who will pay to play with this stuff and I'm definitely going for it because the business is dying. Absent my knowledge of the Supercell internal financial structure, I will make the assumption that they're doing well enough that they don't have to resort to drastic measures. I will also make the assumption that they are not doing so well that they don't ever have to consider additional sources of income. And I will say from that perspective, it feels like for a year might be an optimal blend between opportunities to pick up additional revenue and not burning people out. Because the truth is, wallet fatigue is real. There are a lot of people who either quit shopping at certain stores, they give up certain hobbies because they have spent too much money. I've talked to many people over the years, particularly with the cardboard crack that is Magic the Gathering. A lot of people over the years quit because Wizards of the Coast has released too many sets or too many products, too many different events that just bleed people out of their money. And it becomes difficult for someone to think, I used to spend $60 a year on Clash with my gold passes. Now, my gold passes are costing me $84 a year, which, you know, it's 24 bucks over the course of the year. I'm sure you can find ways to scrimping and saving. But if I then have another $5 event pass that I'm paying for a couple times a year, I'm adding another $30. So now I went from $60 up to $104 a year, even absent buying any other packs or deals or skins or sceneries. And I do feel like it will start to create some wallet fatigue. I think... What, what we've seen so far, we had one in October, we had one in December, we had one in February. There is some dialogue around the possibility of, you know, people are posting leaks and spoilers of like, oh, there's Warden equipment, there's Royal Champion equipment, I can't confirm any of that stuff. But if there are things that are going to be coming, let's say that they did decide to do one in April and June, we would potentially be on a, a steady diet of every other month having something come out. Maybe after every hero has one piece of epic equipment, that will dial back a little bit. But I don't know. It depends on the data. And of course, Supercell, while they're very generous with sharing a lot of information with us, they don't share their deep internal financial statements with us. They have whatever public reporting they wind up doing as a result of being a business that operates in Finland, but they don't give us a lot of specifics. We can look at things based on our creator code revenue. So I am curious to see over time a little bit more. I, I mentioned this on one of my earlier podcasts, probably at some point in the future, I'll wind up sharing I think I, I looked at it when the gold pass came out. Wouldn't be bad for me to revisit that and talk about how I think some of these events are affecting the revenue that I am getting because that is going to be representative of, on some level, the community at large. So I am, I'm definitely curious to see where we wind up, but I do agree with Jonathan and a lot of other people. Six times a year feels like a little too much. I don't know that I'd feel that bad if it was like 
you know, four or five times this year because we're trying to get some new stuff out and then it relaxes a little bit and goes to like a quarterly thing. But we will see. I, I'm guessing not because I, I'm spending money. I mean, I, I did the, I bought the pass in February on, I think 11 accounts. 10 or 11 accounts. I mean, I put a lot of the creator revenue that I get back into the game, whether it's in the form of giving away gold passes on my Discord server or the CFF Discord server or just a friends and family. And I, you know, I bought like 11 of them. So, I mean, they're getting money out of me. And I bought gold passes on six or seven bases. So, I don't know. We'll see. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I hope you wind up sharing with your friends and family. And I hope you enjoy the ramble damage. And please make sure to support me in any way that you can in the form of you know, watching my YouTube videos when I post them, follow me on YouTube, TikTok, follow me on Instagram and, and Twitter and, or X and on threads, which I'm starting to see more of because I've been posting more on Instagram recently. But I do appreciate all the support, especially the podcast. It's my favorite thing that I wind up doing personally. I really, really enjoy and appreciate any of the support that you guys can give me. And of course, use a creator code. If you don't use code trample, use somebody else's. But please use a creator code if you are purchasing stuff in game. And if you're listening to a podcast 45 minutes in and you've gotten past my ramble damage, you're probably using mine unless you happen to forget. So don't forget because it doesn't cost you anything and it helps me out and I can continue spending too much money on Clash of Clans. I really appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful night, and we will catch you on the next episode.